Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads. I'm your host, Mike Goddard. This week's guest is a writer, proofreader, and an English tutor. Oh. A new book, The Dark Between the Cherries, that's a lot of words to say at 9 o'clock tonight, <laughs> is uh, coming out very, very soon. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Fiona Barnum. Hi. So what we'd like to do here on Bloody Good Reads is force authors to pick three books that they absolutely love because I am a bastard. But before we get to that point, um, what I'm going to ask, like I ask every single guest on the podcast, how do you get into the horror genre? It was kind of by accident, I think. Um, I wanted to write a book that was um, very atmospheric and made you feel something while you were in the middle of it. Um, and it's quite hard to do that, or I found it quite hard to do that without kind of sliding into horror. Um, I found that the kind of horror that I like is the sort where you feel like you're very much in the middle of it um, mm. and you're very aware of where you are. Um, so it was really that that brought me to horror. Um, and I also think uh, if you want good horror, you should ask an anxious person to write it um, because they will make you feel that anxiety. Um, so I really think that it's it was a pace I was I was going to end up sooner or later. But what did you read kind of growing up? What was your kind of reading habits? Uh, well, early on, I was much more of a crime reader than much else. I remember when I was sort of nine or ten, uh, a teacher of mine handing me the collected works of Sherlock Holmes and just... Mm reading through the whole lot. It was great. I had a great time. I moved on to Agatha Christie and um, really went from there. Um, and um, it wasn't until I was really sort of 17 or 18 that I discovered things that weren't particularly realist. So your fantasies and your science fiction. Um, and um, I think a old friend's handed me his copy of Neverwhere and said, here, you won't have read anything like this, try that. And I remember my first thought was, you can do that? You're allowed to do that? Oh, wow, give it here. Let's go from there. Um, and really, I think all the books that I've kind of loved and headed towards since have all been the sort of thing that made me made me think, you can really do that? You're allowed? Oh, wow, let's do that. Um, yeah. And it's it's really been a journey of that, I think. Because obviously, with being a an English tutor as well and a proof and, and proofreading, you must love what you do. You must love reading. Oh God, I do. Um, one of my favourite things about uh, both the teaching and the proofreading is that you get very deep into things that you don't necessarily know a lot about, but which are other people's hobbies. Um, and my favourite thing in the world is listening to other people talk about things that they are super interested in or knowledgeable about. Um, and books are a really great way to do that. And asking people about the books they like is another really great way to do that. So it all kind of feeds into each other. I like to have a really varied diet. And I think that's that comes through in the work as well. Talking about stuff you're interested in, you also have a podcast as well. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, it's on hiatus at the moment. Um, uh, it's called Past Tense. Um, and... Um, it's really telling the story of the British Civil Wars, so the English Civil War and the Scottish and Welsh and Cornish and what have you, and the Irish elements of it in the 17th century. Um, 
I have paused it at the moment because it turns out geography is a really hard thing to explain to people via podcast um, Mm because nobody knows where Banbury is anyway. Um, But, I mean, it was a brilliant rabbit hole to go down and I still love it so much. Um, I will read anything I can get my hands on about the Civil War. I find it fascinating. Um, It's uh, partly because, um, I mean, there wasn't an awful lot of technological innovation going on in a military sense um but there was a lot of people just improvising basically um without really very much idea of what they were doing at the time um there's a lot of skirmishes there's a lot of small battles it's a lot of little people doing the best they can in really difficult situations that they haven't come across before um and that was my way into it and i just love stories about people who are doing the best with the bad hand that they've been dealt, um, which is how really a lot of people during the Civil Wars found themselves when you're not talking about actual King Charles or actual Oliver Cromwell. If you are a fan of history, do check out the podcast. It is actually really, not, really, really, really good podcast. So. <laughs> I have listened. I, I'm a bit of a history fan as well. So. <laughs> oh, I could go on a great length. I mean, ask, ask me about it and I could go on forever. I, I just love that bit of history so much. Before we go into kind of how you got into like the proofreading and into writing, mm. again, what we like to do here in the podcast is force people to pick three books. So what is the first book you brought along today? So the first book that I brought is Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay, um, which was written in the 60s. Um, is, she's an Australian author um and basically it's set at a girls residential or boarding school um quite a posh one in australia in the year 1900 and a group of girls go out to hanging rock in the middle of australia for a picnic obviously um Mm -hmm. and three of them and a teacher disappear just completely disappear Um, And I think one of them shows up later on, but with no memory of what happened. And the others, you never know. There's no clues. She doesn't give you anything at all. And just the kind of community falls apart a bit. And what is really interesting to me about this book and the reason I love it is that it is deeply unsettling the whole way through. She gets so much mileage out of this one event of just a couple of girls disappear And she never really explains it. None of the characters really have any idea what's going on at any point, and they have to live with it. And as a reader, you never find out what happens, and you kind of have to live with it. And it's like she sets up this mystery, which was a thing that I absolutely loved, and then she just won't answer it. She's not going to. You have to live with the uncertainty. Um, And I remember reading this and thinking, oh, wow, you're allowed to do that? You can just put that there and then just live in the middle of it. Um, And the atmosphere of this book is just absolutely fascinating Um, because she frames it almost as if um, you're not sure if it's a true story or not. Um, And obviously, if it were a true story and you didn't get any uh, resolution to the mystery, you'd just have to live with it. That's that's it. Um, and it mimics that so well. It's really fascinating. Um, there was a film of it, um, Peter Weir, who did um, 
Dead Poets Society and Truman Show and that sort of thing. So he doesn't, you know, shy away from the awkward. Um, and I can, you can see that he is also absolutely fascinated by the fact that sometimes weird stuff happens and you, you just have to live in the middle of it. So I love that book. It was, it was the first time I've really seen that being done. He also had a TV adaptation as well. I think it's starring, uh, oh God, names now. But um, Oh, yeah. Pretty recently, wasn't it? Or a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, um, 2018 had Natalie Dormer in it. Yes, I didn't see it, although I do mean to at some point. Um, I'll be really interested to see what they do with it because basically any story about teenage girls, um, I mean, it changes depending on who's telling it. So Joan Lindsay um, has her way of telling it, and I think she based the school on on the boarding school that she went to um, as a child. Peter Weir is very much more about... um, the mystery as it's perceived by other people rather than how it's perceived by the, the girls it happened to. So he's got teenage girls holding hands and dancing in the circle in the background, which I'm not entirely into. Um, but I think if you tell that story again in the 21st century, I mean, they're going to see, they're going to see that mystery in a, in a different light again. It's, it's really mm. fascinating. I, I'd be fascinated to know what they've done with it. Good choice. (laughs) Before, so you you picked a picked a good one, and it and it goes in with the crime as well. It's a kind of crime thrillery. Yeah. So. Well, it's a setup for that, Um, but yeah, it's it it's really weird. It's it's a very strange book to sit with, but yeah. Awesome. So, when did the proofreading come up? Because obviously, your love of fiction kind of mixes with the proofreading. Was that before you started doing the teaching or was it something that came after? Um, so I started proofreading um, as a thing on the side at university years and years and years ago um, where I would help out some friends with uh, their essays um, or checking the spelling and things of their essays, especially um, students with English as a second language. Um and uh, sometimes they'd get their friends to send send them to me as well. Um, and I ended up proofreading some really fascinating things in disciplines that I didn't know very much about. Um, and this was really the sort of the first that I was getting any of them. Um, some of them are quite dry, uh, I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. And some of them are absolutely fascinating. And um, the thing that they all really have in common, and I, I still do a lot of, of academic proofreading amongst the rest, but it's all people who are really into their subject, whether or not anyone else is going to be. And I just love that. And going into that really, really deeply and checking the spelling, but also um, finding out how the terminology works and recognizing some of the names that get cited over and over and really kind of getting into the ecosystem of other people's areas of expertise. It's something I've loved for a long time and it's something I've really been quite drawn towards. I think that has fed into the dark between the trees Um I love watching academics talk about things. Let's, let's go on to the book then. It's your debut novel, which is... Obviously, we're recording this way beforehand. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will read the book before you <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I will indeed. It's, um, so tell us a bit about the new book. So where did the want to become a writer yourself? Because you do the proof proofreading, you, you know a lot about other people's passions. 
So when did the kind of I want to I want to write a book kind of come into your into your brain? I guess I I mean I've been noodling away with stories for pretty much ever as long as I've been reading I've been writing and I remember just before my finals at university thinking what am I going to do with my life um I mean obviously I'm going to write but what am I going to do that's going to mean that I'm able to write so really you know the writing has always been there and it's always been something that's kind of I take for granted publishing has not I have written a lot of books over the last decade um Mm -hmm. and many of them have not been much good but um when I started The Dark Between the Trees and I managed to fit those ideas together in a way that sort of sparked, I, I could feel pretty quickly that there was something quite different about it. This was, this was one that I was definitely wanting to share. So at the time that I started uh, writing it, or I started planning it out um I was really really deep into civil war history podcast and having a great time um but I was also definitely doing it as an amateur I mean I've got a GCSE in history and nothing else since um history is not something I've done academically it's not something I know a lot about from the inside and I looked at quite a lot of historians doing stuff and thought wow, that looks like a lot of good fun that I'm not allowed to have, basically. And it was really there that was the beginnings of this this main character in this book, Alice, um, who she is an academic, um, but she feels like a lot of things have kind of been denied to her. She feels like she's quite on the outside. She feels like she's got a lot to prove. And obviously she's not on the outside. She's right in the middle of it. And, you know, I was doing a lot of my research in the university library. I'm not on the outside either. But that kind of feeling of wanting to know a lot more, but also like you're having to do it all by yourself, mm-hmm. that smashed into great fun stories about parliamentarian soldiers romping through the woods. And suddenly I had this idea Um and that sort of spiraled and turned into to the book. And it gets to add in your uh, your love for civil war, English civil war as well. So. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> Combine both at the same time. But, yeah, um, I knew when I wanted to write about the civil war that it wasn't going to be about kings and queens and members of parliament. It was going to be about the ordinary soldiers. Um, and my God, I had a good time with that. Um, mm-hmm. They're great. So what you said you read, you read a lot of books kind of leading up to it to kind of get kind of the feel from the, from the horror drama. Is there any particular ones you were reading at the time kind of help inspire some of the settings for this? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, my second book that I'm bringing you today. There we um, go. What, what is your second pick? Excellent segue <laughs> there. Well done. Um, my second book is Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation. Um, Good pick. My God. Isn't it just... Um, mm-hmm. I remember where I was when I first read that book. Um, talk about atmospheric. Talk about getting stuck in the middle of things and not quite knowing what's going on, which way's up. Oh, my goodness. What a book. What a trilogy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, and I I think I basically went in blind. Um, I didn't know much about what I was getting into. And I think you can trace a line from there 
to um to my book you can see the influence of the the um group of uh women who don't know quite what they're getting into um going in and trying to find out stuff about an area that is sealed off obviously jeff vandermeer's is quite different but there's that same sense um of i think not being able to understand what's going on outside of the framework that you brought in with you does that make sense yeah, 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 it makes sense. Um, good. Um, so I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I, I wonder if this was where I started to poke with that. He does it brilliantly. I can't pretend to do anything like Jeff Adam is doing. Um, but I absolutely loved Annihilation. A popular one here. It's picked recently, I think, a few episodes back as well. So it's a lot of love for this book <laughs> and, and, and the one's thrown up. So no, definitely a good choice and a definitely one that uh, people should go out and check out. And, mm. you know, there is the Netflix movie, which apparently is... <laughs> oh, now, I've not seen that. Nor have because, I. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I've not seen it because, I I mean, I can't add anything to it. I, yeah, it's... And the way it, ruin, it can ruin it a little bit. Yes, well. this is yeah. one perfect thing, one very, very good story, and I don't want to add anything to it. Interestingly, going back a little bit, there is technically an extra chapter, secret extra chapter to Picnic at Hanging Rock um, that was published posthumously where she goes into a little bit of detail about what happened to the girls that disappeared on the rock. And I wish I'd never read it. It's no good. It's, it doesn't make it better. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to let the story finish where the story finishes. Sometimes you're putting too much on top of saying that you should just leave be. Yeah, don't explain <laughs> it. Leave it as it no, is. Definitely not. <laughs> a lot of books do that annoyingly. Mm. <laughs> so how comes folk horror? So what is it about folk horror that drew you in? Well, I grew up near the New Forest um, in Hampshire. Um, and so folk stories and stories around the woods um, were really something that I grew up with you know I was a girl guide we told campfire stories there was spooky stuff it was great um and I love that kind of place um being out in the woods I spent a lot of time there especially as a teenager um so it really felt like a comfort zone you know um and then later on I came to some of the sort of more folk horror stories um have you ever seen Witchfinder General, the film? Yes. Oh my goodness me! <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's something, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I came to it thinking, um, uh, Civil War and that kind of horror. This should be great. I mean, you, it can go one way or the other, I think. But it really felt like it's folk horror felt like a a natural comfort zone and a thing that I loved already. And so that's, that's kind of making a bit of a comeback as well. Mm. Stuff like um, the ritual and kind of films in that kind of area, which have been huge. And even in fiction. Yeah, I didn't mean to pick the moment, but here we are. Um, <laughs> Very lucky. <laughs> yeah, there's some great ones out and about as well, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, what was the one I read recently? Um, 
The Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Clarke, um, okay. set on a Scottish island, partly present day, partly 17th century, partly who on earth knows when it is. Um, but yeah, all all sorts of really good kind of remote rural type folkloric horror going around. Another one, The Watchers by a former guest, uh, A.M. Shine. Very good for yeah. uh, stuck in the woods, evil horror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a man who never shied away from some atmosphere. Um, oh, exactly. <laughs> such a good book. And I do love his cover, like I love your cover. So, you know, we all, it's an ongoing thing. I love covers. But <laughs> like I said, the cover art in this book is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was designed by Dominic Forbes, who's an absolute genius. I absolutely love the cover so much. Um, I think it's beautiful. So let's go on to your final pick then. So what is the third and final Bloody Reading Portal? My third book is uh, The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, um, which is a sort of retelling, sort of responding to, revising of um, The Horror at Red Hook by H.P. Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. And it's also a cracking great yarn is what it is. It's a really good book in its own right. It's a great bit of horror. It is really rooted in its place. Um, You can tell that Victor Laval knows his areas of New York really well. Um, In a similar way to Lovecraft, obviously, but also he understands the implications of what he's writing in a different way. Black Tom, the main character, is a black man, uh, obviously, and it just turns the whole story on its head um, in a way that I find really, really interesting. Um, and I, again, the first time I read this, I thought, well, obviously you can retell a Lovecraft story like this. But you've got to be really good at it. Mm. And he does. It's so much fun. It's a really great story to read. Good choice. Not mm. heard of this one. So it's definitely a definitely one to check out. Oh, it's great. <laughs> if, if you can write... Lovecraft, just as good as Lovecraft, is definitely one you have to give a give a check. And I think it was a finalist in the twenty sixteen Bram Stoker uh, Long Fiction Award as well. Kind of, yeah, you know, won best novella at the British Fantasy Awards as well. So <laughs> you, know, oh, you can't can't go wrong with that. Deserved, deserved. It's quite a different style, I think, to Lovecraft. He he goes straight to the point a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. he's, it's less uh, flowery, meandering. I don't know. Um, he's mm. it's. It, it, but it, he he drives his point home really really well, and I just think it's beautifully paced. It's it's a cracking good yarn, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Go and check it out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Brilliant. So, what are you working on next? Oh my goodness! Um, I've got a couple of bits and pieces that I'm working on right now. I've got one that has gone on the naughty step for a bit while I try and work out how it ends that is um uh a time travel story based in in Edinburgh where I I live now um uh which is uh quite deeply rooted in the kind of Victorian history of the place and your grave robbings and your uh, urban legends and what have you and um I'm also looking at something that is 
set in a, I guess it's set in a cathedral town somewhere down south um, and something is not quite right about the town. Um, that one's that one's contemporary and I'm trying not to do too much weird historical sideways with that. <laughs> um, although it will definitely be a little bit on the creepy side. It's hard not to die. It's a very, you know, historically heavy country. Just, so. <laughs> it's just so much fun, you know? It is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I live in the oldest, in the oldest town in, in the UK now, so, you know. <laughs> oh, well then. <laughs> well, it's a city, but either way. But <laughs> <laughs> Claim to fame. Too much, too much history, too much history. Oh. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really, really amazing talking to you. Go and check out The Dark Between the Trees by Fiona Barnett. We recorded this in July, so I got quite a way off before <laughs> going out. But however, um, where can people find you if you'd like to be found? Um, uh, so my website is fiona-barnett.com. And mm. I am mostly to be found, I guess, on Twitter. Um, my handle is stitchthisfiona. There's quite a lot of knitting content um, in and amongst the rest of the creepy stuff, I guess. Again, thank you so much, Fiona, for coming on the podcast. Go and check out a brand new book. It'll be in the description below to go and check that out as well. As always, a huge shout out to our sponsor as well, Bonnemore Book Club. They are the UK's best UK horror and thriller book box service, bringing the wonders of a haunted bookshop straight to your door each month. Uh, they have two boxes. Yeah, the bare bones box, which is just the the book sections of the boxes, or you have got the full guts box, which is a brand new book, a possibly haunted second hand book, and either another another amazing book from an indie title or a copy of Gaslin or Black Static. It's been mostly books recently, so um, no, definitely, definitely some great titles coming out recently on them as well. Um, Head on over to a bottle book club at createjoy.com and use the code bloody good reads to get 10% off your first box. Definitely gonna check it out. It's my most anticipated thing each month. Yeah, you have, 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 have a bad month, <laughs> you know you're gonna get that coming for your door. So definitely gonna check it out as well. You also get snacks, drinks, and it was surprised in the uh, full guts box as well, I forgot to say, which I don't normally do. I screwed that one up completely. But <laughs> as always, you can catch me over on Twitter at Bloody Good Reads, over on Instagram at Bloody Good Reads, and come and check us out on Facebook as well, which is the Bloody Good Reads Book Club, where you get to see all of our previous guests and other authors who will be coming up coming up soon, uh, just sharing their work and uh, giving some other kind of great recommendations on there too. As always, I've been your host, Mark Goddard, and I'll see you next time.